The Magi are interesting men. For many, they seem as remote and as enigmatic as Santa Claus. Some see the story of the wise men as nothing more than mythology that surrounds the Christmas story. But you would be dead wrong if you believe that this is mere fiction. The Magi were a very real class of important men. Magi were called wise men because they were learned scholars. More on that, they were powerful men who were priests of the Medes, the Persians, and the Babylonians. They were not kings. We first hear of the Magi in the Old Testament. It was Daniel who would have added to the learning of the Magi, foretelling the coming of the King of Israel. The Magi read the stars, and so God spoke to them by giving them a star that leads them to the King of the universe. The name of this great King is none other than Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. Well, here we are uh, in the month of December, now just uh, actually 20 days away from Christmas Day. So this, uh, this picture here, I don't know if you can see it or not, is a Christmas tree that has got, I think, 1,500 presents under it. And I'm not making that up. That's, uh, that's an actual thing. The woman who posted that said she, she had a, didn't have a great childhood, and so she wanted to make sure that her kids had a great childhood. I don't know about you, but just looking at it causes me great stress. <laughs> and I don't know. If, I think it's much easier just to give the kids money. But anyway, at, the, at a young age, maybe you, ha- you do have to wrap a few presents. Where do we get this from? And really, is it, uh, is it really a Merry Christmas? That is a big question. Well, we, we get this tradition really through the example of the Magi who gave three gifts to baby Jesus. Gold, frankincense, and very, very good. You all passed the test. So this is a mosaic that is found in the Basilica of Sant'Apollinaire Nuovo in Italy, and it is supposed to be the three kings of the East. And uh, uh, we call them wise men. You can also call them the Magi. I'll tell you that in the Greek, uh, when, when Matthew speaks about them, he's, they're called the, the Magi. And I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But if you, you can see on the mosaic, you can see the, the names of these uh, so-called kings. And we actually have a hymn that actually mentions these these kings by name, Balthasar, Melchior, and Caspar. And according to Western church tradition, Balthasar is often represented as the king of Arabia or and Ethiopia. Uh, Melchior is supposed to be the king of Persia and Caspar as a king of India. Well, we'll, we'll talk more about that in just a, a second. But for many people, the, the story of the star and the wise men and the shepherds, it's all part of the mythology of Christmas. This right up there alongside Santa Claus and the reindeer. But here's what you all need to know today, is that this is not mythology. It's not just uh, interesting, fanciful stories to make the Christmas story more interesting. These are facts. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 2, and we're looking at verses one to 12. Let me read to you the story of the coming of the Magi. In your Bible, it might say wise men. There's a reason we call them wise men. Uh, some of you may call them the three kings. I'll tell you why they are, were called kings. But actually, in the, in the original text, it says Magi. So here it is. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. 
He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod came for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it was, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Well, next week, you're going to find out why God warned them not to return to Herod. And so for now, we're looking at the, the wise men or the magi. Now, you heard me say that there were three gifts giving, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And for that reason, many believe that the magi were three in number. Uh, some believe that there were far more than that. There's some traditions that say that there were 12 magi. A magi is plural for magus, M-A-G-U-S, which means uh, magician or learned one. Well, let's, let's go back 600 years. We've got to go back 600 years before Jesus was born to understand who the Magi were. So in 605 BC, the man that we now know as Daniel the prophet was taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylonia, and, or Babylon, and and so we read in Daniel chapter 1, verse 4, the king gives a command, and he says, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. That, that eliminates me from that list. And he said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. And then we read in verse 17 of Daniel 1, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. So you're getting the picture. Israel has gone into captivity and Nebuchadnezzar has, has pinpointed four special young Jewish boys whom he will advance. Now, it's Daniel who especially catches the king's eye. And here's what it says in Daniel 5, 11 to 12. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made him chief over all the magicians or the magi, the astrologers, the enchanters and fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. Okay, so just look at me for a moment and understand this. Daniel was in his own right a wise man. In fact, I'm sure that in Babylon, he would have been numbered among the magi himself. Um, he was the chief of the wise men. And as the chief of the wise men, his job would be to pass on to the other magi the knowledge and the information from his faith tradition. So it's really important that everybody gets this. Did you get that? He arrives in Babylon. He is now the one who's overseeing the magi, again, 600 years before Jesus is born. And Daniel would have passed on to them the information about Judaism, and particularly the, the coming of a Messiah or a special king. Really important to get this. 
Daniel knew the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And in case you didn't hear that message yet, this series began four weeks ago, and we began with the Messiah. Well, Daniel knew all about it. He knew all the prophecies, and he would have passed on this information to the Magi 600 years before Jesus was born. Now, let me just quickly share with you some of the many prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ. I don't want anybody here today to think that Christianity is myth. I don't want anybody here to think, and a lot of people think this, that if you become a Christian, that you need to use blind faith, or you need to take a a leap in the dark. No, 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 there's nothing blind about our faith. Our faith is based on fact on truth, on historical facts. Everybody understands that today. There's nothing blind about it. It's not a step in the dark. We're talking about something is true, something that has got documentation to prove that it's accurate and prove that it's not an accident or a coincidence. Does everybody get that today? Next time someone says to you, I don't know how you can believe in that airy-fairy stuff. There's nothing airy-fairy about it. It's based on fact and truth. It's based on fulfillment of prophecies way before Jesus was ever on the scene, people. So here's what Daniel would have no doubt shared with the Magi. The very first, which is not the very first prophecy about Jesus, but it is a very specific and direct prophecy. We find it in Genesis 49, verse 10. Folks, listen, before we read that, Jacob is coming is at the end of his life now and he's prophesying over each of his sons. And when he gets to Judah, here's what we read. It says, and this by the way is 1700 years before Jesus is born. Did you get that? 1700 BC, Jacob is giving this prophecy to Judah concerning Judah's offspring whose name is Jesus. The scepter will not depart from Judah. What is the scepter? That is a sign of a king's authority. It will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all the nations will honor. Did you get that? He doesn't say just the one that Jerusalem will honor, but all the nations will honor him. Jacob is giving us a prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ the one whom the whole world will worship. Very important that you understand that. So the the Magi, they all know that. They're looking for a special descendant of Judah from the tribe or from from the people of Israel. And this special one, this special king, will be one that all the nations will honor. Well, then we go to 700 years before Jesus was born and basically 100 years before Daniel is on the scene. And we find the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah's, uh, oh, pardon me, first, from, from Numbers. Let's take a look at that first. This is actually 1,406 years before Jesus was born. I'm getting ahead of myself here. So this, this is a prophecy from Balaam. And Balaam, in case you've never heard of him, is is they think of a, a, a magi, uh, one of the magi, and he was hired to curse Israel by Israel's enemies. Israel's enemies, they saw that they had God on their side and they were afraid of Israel, as you ought to be, because God was on their side. And so one of the enemies, or several of the enemies of Israel, hired Balaam, a, a magi, to go and curse Israel. But when he goes to curse Israel, he's not able to. God will not allow him to curse Israel. And instead, what comes out of his mouth is a prophecy. And here it is. So Balaam says, I see him, that's Jesus, but not here now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. That's 1,400 years later, this, this Jesus will appear. And watch this. A star will rise from Jacob. Is this sending chills down your spine at all, anybody? A star will rise from Jacob and a scepter will emerge from Israel. Balaam is prophesying the coming of Jesus Christ. Balaam, who's not Jewish, he he hates Israel. He's got no interest in Israel. He wants to curse Israel. But when it comes right down to it, the God of Israel will not allow him to do it. And then... We come to Isaiah, 100 years before Daniel is born, and 
And this is 700 years before Jesus is born. And here's what Isaiah says. He prophesies, darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth. But the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Well, again, we're, we're, we're seeing that Jesus who came was not just for the Jewish people. This Jesus who came is not just for the Western world. This Jesus who came is for all the nations. He's for Asia, for South America, North America, all of Europe, Antarctica, the Arctic. He's for everybody. Does everybody understand that? Some people have this notion that Christianity is a Western religion. It is not a Western religion. If anything, it's a Middle Eastern religion. It comes from Israel. And it's for all nations. You need to understand this. This is going to become very apparent in just a few moments. You're going to see how important it is to understand that Christianity is, is a faith for all nations. So what you need to understand about, the, about these wise men, these magi, whether there were three or, or, or 12 or 20, who knows? But we do know that there was a group that came. These magi were, in fact, uh, a priestly tribe of men of the Persian religion of Zoroastrianism. A lot of people don't know that. These, these Persians, or modern-day Iranians, but we call them Persians. I like that better. These Persians have come to Israel to worship this king of the Jews. These priests rose to high positions because of their great learning. It wasn't because of their magical powers. And that is, that is, uh, that is something that we could discuss, but we don't have time today. But it's, it's their learning. It's their knowledge of, of the sacred scriptures of Israel and of their own uh, culture. We can actually trace the Magi back to the time of Abraham when he was in Ur. Now we're going back 2,000 years before Jesus is born. We know that these Magi were wandering and nomadic. In other words, they were, they were a people of the world, if you will. They traveled around and they spoke to leaders of every nation. And every leader of every nation would have known who they are and they would have understood the significance of these Magi. These magi were found predominantly in Babylonia, in, amongst the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, and in, especially in India. In fact, in India today, we still will find these, these so-called magi. But one of the things that really intrigued me is that we even find them in China. Back around 1,600 years before Jesus was born, we, we have a class of, of magi uh, the, the Chinese call them shaman or shaman. Uh, they were called the Wu, W-U. And historians and philologists believe that they got the name Wu uh, as part of the Persian word for magi, which would have been maju. So this is how we get the, the term Wu. So these magi are well known around the world. Again, there's a, there's a reason why I'm stressing around the world. You need to understand the global impact of Christ's coming to this world. Does everybody understand that? We talk about the shepherds who received the message from the angels, but you need to understand that God wanted to speak and communicate the truth to the whole world. How many understand today that Israel's job was to be a light to the nations? The Jewish people actually forgot that. Now, you will remember the story of Christ clearing the temple. Remember that? Jesus formed for himself a whip, and then he drove the money changers out of the temple. Why did he do that? And I'll tell you why. It's because these Jewish money changers, these men who were selling animals for sacrifice, the money lenders or the money changers were there because there were people, Jewish people coming from all over the world. They needed to change their money into the, into the money of, of, that, of that country, and so they were doing their exchange of, of cash, but Jesus now is coming and he's driving them out. Why is he doing that? I'll tell you why. Jesus says that, says my, my father's house is not a place of trade. My father's place, house is a place of prayer. Why is he doing it? Because they had set up their stalls in what we call the court of the Gentiles. The temple was built in such a way 
so that the Jewish people could worship God, but there was also a special court set up so that Gentiles, people who were not Jews, could come and worship the God of Israel. But the Jewish people at that time had, had, had literally eliminated the place for Gentiles to come and worship God. Very important to see this. Christianity, the God of Israel, who's always been a God for all the nations. Remember what God said to Abraham. He says, your offspring will be a blessing to whom? To all the nations. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy back 4,000 years ago. Israel, you are going to be a blessing to all the nations. And Jesus sees what's happening in in his day. The, The Gentiles are being excluded from God's plan. And this is what makes God so angry. Now watch this. The Magi, suddenly they see a star in the sky. Remember, the Magi are great learners, but they're also astrologers. What does that mean? It means they read the stars. They, they understand the stars. And the Magi see the star in the sky, and they go on a journey of about 1,500 kilometers to go and see Christ. So that's basically like traveling from Winnipeg to Calgary. Now, you and I can get to, from Winnipeg to Calgary if we start early enough in the day, and we go at least 110 kilometers an hour all the way without taking a potty break. We can, we can probably do it. Well, imagine these poor magi. They're, they're, not, they're not in a vehicle that goes 110 kilometers an hour. Nowhere near that. They've, they've likely got their camels. They're, the camels are laden with gifts and with stores and with provision, food, everything that they would need to help them get to Israel. Imagine that. Imagine, imagine going with, uh, with a camel or with, with a, a donkey and trying to go all the way from Winnipeg to Calgary. Imagine that patch of Saskatchewan, flat, <laughs> there's nothing there. And I, I'm, I'm actually putting a dig in against Pastor Joel here because he still thinks Saskatchewan's better than Manitoba, but we know different, don't we? Everybody said? That's good. He said it with a chuckle so Pastor Joel can't be offended. Anyway, so here we are, the Magi on their journey. Now, what would make them, first of all, spend all that money to go on that journey? That would have been a, an extremely expensive journey. Well, they saw the star. And they knew the prophecies that Daniel had taught them 600 years before. In fact, the Magi were carefully watching and listening and watching the sky. They're looking for the signs. They're waiting for the birth of the one that Daniel told them about. Really important to understand that. This is not a chance, people. This is, this is, not, this is not a coincidence, it's all part of God's divine plan, and these magi are warned in advance that it's, it's going to happen. Now, I think it's interesting to note that the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah for 2,000 years, and when he came, they didn't recognize him. The magi are only waiting 600 years, and when he came, they knew who it was. Very interesting, isn't it? Well, they're reading the stars, and how many know today that when you look for God, you will find him? Everybody understands that? God is drawing you to himself. And by the way, those things that seem like a coincidence in your life, they're not a coincidence. God is actively drawing you to himself. And so here's what God does. God provides a star for these magi. And it's interesting to note that the only people who ever understood the significance of the star were the Magi. God specifically spoke to them. Listen to what, what uh, David says in Psalm 19, 1 to 2. He says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to do what? To speak. This star is speaking to them. Night after night, they make who known? Make Christ known. And so here are these magi, they're responding. They're astrologers. They understand that this star that they see in the east is not just any old star. This is a star that is announcing the birth of the king of the Jews. And so the magi arrive. They come to to the king, King Herod, and they say to him, where is this newborn king of yours? This newborn king of the Jews. We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. 
And Herod's like, what? And it says here in the scripture that he's troubled, very troubled indeed, and not just him, but all of Jerusalem with him were disturbed. The Magi are thrilled out of their minds that finally, after waiting for 600 years, the king has been born. The Magi have been waiting for, or the the Jews have been waiting for 2,000 years, but they're not too interested in it. In fact, if anything, they're more disturbed than anything. Where is this newborn king? We saw his star. Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Herod went to his teachers because he didn't know where the Messiah would be born. He goes to the teachers that know the scripture. Where is the Messiah going to be born, he asks. Now watch this, folks. Watch this. The teachers of the law said, well, that's easy. Micah, the prophecy from chapter 5 of Micah, verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. Did you get that? The origins of Jesus Christ, the King of Israel, whose origins are the distant past, we're talking about about God. Remember we said that in the first week when we talked about the Messiah? He's not just a man, he's God. He has a distant past. This is why we read in the scripture that Jesus Christ was, was slain. He was put to death from the foundation of the earth. This is God's eternal plan. It's now unfolding. The very thing that all of Israel has been waiting for is now happening. Happening. And so the teachers of the law, they have no doubt. They know where Jesus is going to be. And where is he born? He's born in Bethlehem. And by the way, I want you to see something. Joseph and Mary were not living in Bethlehem. They were living where? In Nazareth. And because of the census, they had to return to their hometown. That's where, that's where they originated. They were, they, their origins, their people we're from Bethlehem, and they had to return to Bethlehem. Now, I want you to see all of these coincidences as they fall into place. Mary and Joseph have to return to Bethlehem. Why? Because Jesus has to be born in Bethlehem, because that's what the prophecy says. And God stirs up the hearts and the minds of, of the rulers of the world. It says in Proverbs that God holds the heart of the king in his hands. God, how many know today God's sovereign? He's in charge Things happen because he makes them happen his way. God is not under the control of any man, any woman, under any ruler, any king, any authority. God is sovereign over all. He makes decisions. His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. It doesn't depend on you or me. God's will is done. Let the spirit of God fill your heart with joy and wonder. I don't know about you, but I got goosebumps right now. God's in charge, my friends. He's sovereign, and he makes it happen. And so there's Joseph, and there's Mary. Now, again, this notion, this idea that your faith is a blind faith is absolute rubbish. It's not blind. There's all kinds of documentation, all kinds of proofs. But the problem is with our generation, who are atheistic, we call them the new atheists, they're lazy. They're intellectually lazy, and they're intellectually dishonest. Because if you were honest, you'd have to look at the, at the evidence of Scripture to show you that proves to you that your faith is not a coincidence, that your faith is not out of the mind of some delusional prophet from the past, some delusional lunatic. It's based on fact. And some people are, are questioning, well, you know, Jesus Christ, I don't want to offend you. He's a good teacher. His teachings are wonderful. I love the Sermon on the Mount. That's what, that's what Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi said. No, 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 no. You don't get to say he's a good teacher. You don't get to say that. He's either a liar. If he's not who he is, then he's a liar. Or he's a lunatic. He's a nut job. Or he's the Lord. You can't call him a good teacher because Jesus makes it clear that he is the son of God. Makes it clear that he is God. 
So you either reject him or you embrace him. There is no middle ground. If you reject him, you're rejecting not just Jesus Christ, but you're rejecting all the proof of scripture that proves to us that Jesus is who he says he is. Don't, young people, don't you let anybody, any teacher, any professor tell you that your Christianity is a load of nonsense or superstition. It's reality, it's truth, it's documented, it's proven to be true. There's too many proofs that tell us that this is something that you can go to the bank on. And so when the, when the Magi arrived, here's what it says, and the star they had seen in the east, it guided them right to Bethlehem, and it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Who is the child? It's Jesus Christ. Now, the Magi, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. I wonder this morning, is your heart filled with joy as you see the many ways that God reveals himself to you? By the way, you're here this morning, not by chance. Did you get that? The Magi were not in Bethlehem by chance. It wasn't a coincidence. You are here this morning to hear this message by God's sovereign plan. God knew before you were born that on December 5th, 2021, you would be sitting in Cross Church listening to this sermon. Did you hear that? You're not here by chance. You're here to hear the word of God because God wants you to hear what I'm saying to you today. You need to hear what I'm saying today. You need to know that your faith is not a blind faith. It's a solid faith based on truth and fact. I want you to understand that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And they entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they did what? They worshiped him. These are Persians worshiping Jews, Iranians worshiping a Jew. Would you ever think you'd ever hear such a thing? Anybody listen to the news lately? <laughs> there's, there's a war brewing in the Middle East. You never would have heard of such a thing. But these magi, they recognized a power that's higher than any power on earth. They were recognizing a power of the universe, the power of Almighty God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the one who sent us Jesus, Yah saves, hallelujah. And they, before Jesus arrived on the scene, he sent John, whose name means Yah is gracious, hallelujah. Are you getting this? Powerful stuff, and they worshiped him. They bowed down. They recognized that he was the king of kings, the king of the Jews, the king of the whole world. Now, I'm going to tell you, Jesus came from a very poor family. Look at it. If I was the one in heaven that God appointed to organize the coming of Jesus, I would have done it quite a bit different, I want you to know. First of all, Jesus would not have been born into a poor family because I would think, well, Jesus should be born into a wealthy family so that he has the resources necessary for him to do the job. So he's, he's, he's got no wealth, he's got no status, no recognition from the Jewish leaders, no recognition from King Herod, no recognition from the priests, the scribes, the teachers, nothing. This Israel been waiting for 2,000 years, Jesus shows up, and here's what John says in John 1, 10 to 11. Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Did you see that? I wonder today if that might be you. Maybe you're not converted yet. You haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ yet. Jesus has given you proof after proof after proof and you still reject him. When you stand before God someday, and we all will stand before God, I have just taken away your excuse. You can't say to him, well, I didn't know. Thanks a lot, Pastor Allen, thanks a lot. You stand before God, and God's gonna say, what did you do with my son? How many know that? He's not gonna say, well, let me see how many good works you've got. Let me weigh your good works out against your bad works. And you're just crossing your finger, hoping that my good works far outweigh my bad works. That, my friends, that is, that is fiction. That's myth. That is not what's going to happen. You stand before God someday, he's going to ask you a question. He's going to ask you, what did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? He came to you. He revealed himself to you. What did you do with him? And if you didn't put your faith in him, my friends, 
If you didn't put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you didn't put your trust in the righteousness of Christ, because every one of us who has become a Christian, we have received a gift from Jesus. We have received his righteousness. We put on his righteousness like a garment. And when God the Father, God the judge, looks at us, guess what he sees? He sees Jesus, amen. He sees the righteousness of Christ. You can't make it into heaven with your righteousness. Your righteousness just ain't good enough. Paul says your your righteousness is like filthy rags. Or to be more specific and more in line with the original language, your righteousness is the same as menstrual rags. Ugh. But that's how God sees our righteousness. It's just not good enough. When you stand before God, he's going to ask you, what did you do with my son? He came, he brought to you righteousness from heaven. Did you take it or did you say, no, I'm good, I'll do it myself? Those who say, I'll do it myself, are, the Bible tells us, are under the judgment of God. The judgment is coming, Merry Christmas, remember that? You are still, now you are the object of God's wrath. You are under the wrath of God. It's important that you understand that. And so these Jewish people, they didn't recognize, they didn't recognize Jesus. Now the Magi met Jesus, here's what they do. So they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now here's something I'll bet nobody here has ever thought about. If you know the Christmas story, you know that an angel came to Mary and Joseph one night and said, Get your son out of town. Herod's coming to kill him. A lot of people don't know that part of the Christmas story. And we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about the dragon of Christmas. A lot of you don't know about the dragon of Christmas. We're going to talk about the dragon of Christmas. But here's what you need to know right now. Mary and Joseph were warned by the angel, get out of town, go to Egypt. They go to Egypt. Now, do you ever wonder how two poor people from Nazareth could now extend their vacation? How do they go? How do they go from Nazareth all the way down to Egypt? Egypt from from Bethlehem is 700 kilometers. How do two poor people do that with their brand new baby, no less? They've got gold, they've got frankincense, and they've got myrrh. Don't you know that God knows how to provide and meet our every need? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're sitting here today, you're, oh, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. You know, you just might have a magi show up at your door. Here's some gold or frankincense and myrrh. It won't be literally that, but it's very much in that, in that vein. And God provided so that Mary and Joseph could actually go to Egypt and actually live in Egypt until, until King Herod dies. This is not a coincidence, folks. You notice every single little detail is taken care of. It's not a coincidence. So Mary and Joseph, they have the gold, the frankincense, and more. What do these gifts reveal about Christ? Because these, go- these gifts are all symbolic of something. The gold represents Christ's kingly role. The frankincense, re- it represents Christ's priestly role. Gold was reserved for kings. It was the wealthy, the kings that that would cover everything in gold. Frankincense was, was, was incense that priests used, part of the whole worship experience. The priests were mediators between the people and between God. Well, Jesus Christ was a priest and a mediator, which I'll talk about in a moment. And then myrrh, of course, is part of the burial rites. How many know that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God? We talked about John the Baptist last week. What did John see when, say when he saw Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was that sacrifice. Now let me just quickly go over these just so that you understand the significance of what we're talking about today. I said that the gold represents Christ's kingly role. Again, the Bible is full of scripture that 
points to Christ the king. Listen to this. Psalm 72, 10 to 11. The western kings of Tarshish and other distant lands will bring him tribute. Tribute. That's what this is, tribute. The eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring them him gifts. All kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. And that's exactly what happens. These wise men, they come, whoops, these wise men, they come and they, uh, they worship him. They bow down to him. Psalm 86, verse 9, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Christianity is not just for Jewish people. It's just not just for Western people. It's for what? All nations. Say it with me. All nations. I was thinking this morning it would be really cool if we could put a flag in our atrium that represents all the nationalities of our church. I think we'd have a lot of different flags up there. All these people are here today. Many of you come from many from different countries. But what, what's the common denominator of people? What brings us all together? Jesus. Did that blow your mind? I got my brother Rajabu. I, I, I don't speak any French or not much. And uh, he speaks mostly French. And yet he's my brother. I would die for him. And I think he would die for me. You better die for me. <laughs> we're, we're brothers. This is the power of the gospel. What makes us brothers is that we have the same king, King Jesus. Did you get that? Because we're, we're both part of the same kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God. Are you in the kingdom of God this morning? Are you, are you a part of the kingdom? Isaiah 60, verse 6 says, Vast caravans of camels will converge on you. The camels of Midian and Ephah, the people of Sheba, will bring gold and frankincense. That's Isaiah 60. And will come worshiping the Lord. This is who Jesus is. He came initially to set up his kingdom in our hearts. So I ask you this morning, are you converted? Are you truly born again? The great religious teacher, Nicodemus, asked Jesus, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? And you know what Jesus said? Sign up right here. No, he didn't say that. He said what? You must be born again. You must be converted. You must become a new person. If you're not converted, you are not born again. You are not part of the kingdom of God. I was talking to a Bible college, uh, he's a professor, but he's also the president of the college. And one of the things that I was saying to him, which was a, a big concern for me, is the numbers of people who go to church who are not converted, who are not born again. People who are Christian in name only. We call them nominal Christians. That's what nominal means, in name only. They're cultural Christians. They grew up in the church. All my friends are at church, therefore I go to church because that's where my friends are. And they come to church and they go through all the rituals. They worship, they raise their hands, they sing the songs, they even give some money, but they do it every week, but they're not converted. I asked Heather permission if I could share this. She said when she first came to this church, she was disturbed that I kept talking about the need to be converted, asking people, are you converted? Are you born again? She thought that sounded harsh and judgmental. But now she understands what I'm driving at. And she said to me, I have never been so sure of my faith, of my salvation as I am now. And I pray today that you will be sure of your salvation as well. How do you know you're born again? How do you know that you're in the kingdom of God? How do you know you've escaped the judgment of God? How do you know that you're going to heaven? The way that you know it is that you have put your faith in Christ and you are following him, you are obeying him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So I'm asking you today, are you converted? We've got people that want to get baptized. I, don't, I will not baptize anybody who's not truly converted. If you want to be baptized, you have to tell me. You have got to prove to me that you are born again. 
Baptism is for the converted. What does baptism mean? It means that you were once dead in your trespasses. You were buried and you came back to life a brand new creature. You were, you were put to death with Christ. You were crucified with Christ. You were buried with Christ and you were resurrected with Christ. You see what I'm saying today? Which leads me then to that second thing. Christ's priestly role. He is a mediator. He's the one that stands between you and God. And when you sin, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, here's what happens, folks. Jesus holds up his his scarred hands to the Father, and he reminds the Father, I died for Alan. I come before the Father I don't come because I deserve to be able to come to the Father. I come to the Father because Jesus Christ has given me his righteousness. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty that my sin deserves. Do you see that? Jesus hung on that cross as though he were Alan Duncalf. And that's what it means to become a Christian. It means that you are now united with Christ. You're united with him in his death, and you're, you're united with him in his burial, and you're united with him in his resurrection. That's how come I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. That's why I'm not afraid of death. I'm not, a, I'm not one bit afraid of it. I know that I belong to God. I know that to, 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 to live in this world is to be with Christ, and to be dead is to be with Christ in eternity. Do you have that assurance? You have that assurance if you put your faith in Christ, if you have his righteousness. And so when God looks at you, you and I have a mediator interceding on our behalf. Every time you come to God, as sinful as you are, Jesus Christ is there holding out his scarred hands and his scarred feet and his scarred side. He said, I paid the price. I've washed away Alan's sin. I've washed away Roy's sin. I've washed away Inquan's sin. Washed it away as though I'd never sinned. That, my friends, is the doctrine of justification. What makes you right with God is not your good works. Your good works will not get you into heaven. There's no verse in the Bible that says that. The only way that you can have eternal life is through Jesus Christ, the one who mediates for us between God. Now some say, well, Pastor Ron, I thought you were talking about God being love. What kind of a loving God is a God of judgment and wrath? I'll tell you what kind of a loving God is. Listen, God promised us, promised Adam and Eve, the day that you sin is the day that you die, the day the judgment is poured out, the day the wrath is poured out. But God demonstrates his love by giving us Jesus who becomes our covering, our hiding place. And when you become a Christian, you are hiding in Jesus. That, my friends, is the demonstration of God's great love for us. This is the gospel, the good news that this world is looking for. Everybody here today knows that he or she is a sinner. Everybody here knows that you deserve death, but thanks be to God, he's given us a savior. His name is Jesus and he has covered us. This, my friends, is the demonstration of God's love. And finally, we see Jesus as the lamb, the sacrificial role of Jesus. Folks, listen, when, when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God. And this lamb of God, this was not something that just coincidentally happened. Jesus didn't wake up one day and think to himself, hey, I could be a Messiah. Hey, I, I could actually be the king of Israel. No, 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 no. This, this is God's ancient plan being fulfilled. Jesus came according to God's great plan. This is why it says that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the earth. This is why we read in Genesis 3.15 that, that the seed of Eve, Jesus Christ, would come and Satan would strike his heel, but Jesus would crush his head. Somebody say hallelujah to that one. This is the gospel. This is the good news. So Jesus comes and he dies for us as our sacrifice. And we read, we read in Revelation 7, 9 to 10. After this, 
I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Folks, I want you to know today, the Old, the Old Testament sacrificial system of sacrificing blood, the blood of goats and lambs and bulls, it could not take away our sin. Paul tells us that repeatedly. The only thing that will take away your sin is Jesus Christ. Now here's the good news. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, he not, he not only takes away your sin, but he guarantees you a resurrection. Because Jesus was perfect. He was not subject to death. And that's why the grave couldn't keep him down. That's why Jesus sprung back up to life again. Because the grave couldn't keep him down. Because he was innocent. Because he was perfect. And now all who put their faith in Jesus have his perfection, have his righteousness. And someday, someday, those of you who put your faith in the one who's washed away your sin, someday you will live for eternity with Almighty God. Would you stand to your feet, please? This is, this is the good news of Christmas. And for this, I'll say Merry Christmas. We're gonna live forever. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord. Our faith is not a blind faith. It's based on fact, many, many facts. It's based on the proofs that we see in scripture, the proofs of history. God, I pray this morning that you would bolster people's faith, give people courage, give people the assurance, the confidence, the boldness, that their belief is not in vain. Their belief is real. It's based on fact, a firm foundation. Oh God, thank you today. Thank you today, Lord, for Jesus Christ, our King, our mediator, priest, our sacrifice lamb. Thank you that Jesus Christ gives us hope and gives us eternal life. This is the greatest gift of all. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Before you go, I want you to tell the person beside you, we're going to live forever. Merry Christmas.